0: Monday, March 19th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 153 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is uh, just an absolute master of his instrument. It's drummer Tom Rainey. Tom's been uh, on the New York scene for a very long time now, uh, contributing to a lot of really important music. And uh, I'm glad to have him on the show today. Today on the show, Tom Rainey. Before we get into it, um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys about something. Uh, All the details are being worked out. um, But starting in May going to be doing something new with the podcast. Starting in May, once per month, we're going to be doing uh, a live presentation of the podcast. What that means is uh, once a month, um, I, I was originally hoping that it could just be something simple like the last Tuesday of every month. Um, it's gonna The date's going to vary a little bit. But once a month, uh, I'm going to invite a performer, a musician, uh, someone who, whose music I really appreciate, uh, to do a performance and then uh, afterwards do a discussion with me, all of which will be recorded for the podcast. This is happening at um, a new venue in Brooklyn called Arate. It's in Greenpoint. It's, a, it's an amazing new space that has opened up recently. It's the perfect room to do this kind of thing in. Uh, I think the maximum occupancy of the room is 50 people. There's a nice, well-maintained piano, The room is clean. It's it's set up for a nice presentation of music and ideas. And I think it's the you know this is something I've wanted to do for a while. I think uh, this is the right space to do it in. So once a month, starting in May, myself and another artist in conversation uh, after said artist performs. The first few uh, uh, performances are are booked. It's going to be people like Peter Evans, Zena Parkins, um, Ben Goldberg, Ken Vandermark. It's going to be like some of the best conversations that have happened on this show. It's going to be those in a live format, and I'm really excited about it. There's no information up on the web yet. Uh, this is all kind of coming together right now. I just want to go ahead and kind of give you guys like the, the heads up on that. That's going to be coming soon. It's happening in May. Um, look forward to it. If you're in and around New York, this is something that I think you can get excited about. I also want to let you know that at the end of this month, March 29th, there's another new venue in Brooklyn. It's called Wonders of Nature. It's at 131 Grand Street, Williamsburg new venue uh, focusing on experimental, improvised, uh, avant-garde music, and I'll be doing a show there with my band, Pale Horse. It'll be the first show that Pale Horse has done since my residency last year at The Stone, um, almost exactly a year ago. Nate Woolley is going to perform. My main dog, my main guy, Nate Woolley, is going to be there, and if you're around, come out. Uh, I don't perform a lot these days. Uh, I'd like that to be, you know, not the case, but I haven't um, been performing a whole lot. So the fact that I can get together with Chris and Brian is a big deal for me. And if you're around, come out. March 29th, Wonders of Nature, 131 Grand Street, uh, Pale Horse plus Nate Woolley. I think that's a pretty good bill, actually. I think that's like a show that's like worth getting out to. All right. Enough of that shit. It's already four and a half minutes into the podcast. Um, Today on the show, Tom Rainey. Look, man, do you know Tom Rainey? You probably do. If you don't, then go check your record collection because there's a very good chance that Tom Rainey is there uh, playing drums on records that you know and love. You dig? Tom has been very closely associated with people like um, uh, uh, Tim Byrne and and, and Hank Roberts. A lot of really important musicians who have been working with jazz and improvisation in New York for the past 40 years. We talk about it a little bit on the show today. The first time I saw Tom play was, um, I think it was 2005. It's very well, I could have seen him uh, before that, but it was the first show I ever went to at the Stone. Uh, It was as a trio it was a trio with Tim Byrne and Drew Grass, And it fucking blew my mind. And, you know, during the time that I worked The Door at the Stone, I, I feel like I got a pretty good feel for a lot of the musicians who kind of come and go stay and leave in the world of New York City improvisers. And some of the best shows I saw at the Stone, Tom Rainey was in. I saw a duo one night with him and Sylvie Covasier that just fucking blew my mind completely like shattered me i I couldn't believe it you know and tom is a heavy hitter this is a guy who has logged so many hours across so many countries improvising at the drum set in a way that is just it's a very high level of musicianship i never talked to tom before i i don't know that he's a big talker to be quite honest with you you know, I invite people over to my house. You know, I'm never really exactly sure how it's going to go, and and today's a good one. You know, Tom shared a lot of himself, but it, it's not always um, a gab fest. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I I think Tom is someone who very much has you know thus far and made his statement to the world through his playing, which is, again, it's just on the highest level, you know. If I could play music like Tom plays music, I probably wouldn't, you know, be doing this podcast, if you want to know the truth. Tom is just an absolute master. And I'm really delighted that he can come over, we could have this talk. If you want to find out more about Tom Rainey, uh, I I would say just, you know, plug it into Google. From what I can tell, he doesn't have a dedicated website, but, um... You know, in the last few years, last 10 years, let's say, he has begun leading his own projects. He's got his amazing trio with Ingrid Laubrock and Mary Halverson. He's got a larger ensemble called Obligato that focuses on performing standards. Uh, and it's all just like top shelf listening. Do you enjoy listening to music? Do you enjoy putting something on that's been uh, uh, created and played by people who know exactly what they're doing? Check out Tom Rainey. And that's it. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope you guys are good. Uh, springtime will be here soon. You can count on it. Uh, we we got to push through these last couple of weeks. But uh, it'll be nice soon. Okay. Here's my conversation with Tom Rainey. Tour, you guys,
1: you guys both her a lot. Uh, yeah, from time to time, yeah. 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 And we uh, yeah, sometimes together. some lately, apart. You know. Right.
0: Right, yeah. right. 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 Um. Yeah, I haven't seen her in a while. She's
1: doing really good. I mean, she's been working really hard on an or- orchestra piece that she wrote. Yeah. And so she's she just finished mixing that and you now you know
0: mixed up. <laughs> You guys live in park
1: slope or no in cobble hill
2: okay
0: yeah, yeah yeah he um do you have are you able to
1: play at your place yeah, a little bit as much as i play you know yeah <laughs> but ingrid, ingrid has a rehearsal studio too. okay 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 so between the apartment and the rehearsal studio right
0: we, but you're not dying to play drums at home
1: i, I play a little bit you know yeah. I, I don't i don't i don't play a lot but if i'm not if i'm not doing something else i'll play a little bit you know, yeah. by myself yeah, yeah and ingrid practices there it's, it, we're, we're, yeah we're pretty lucky in that way
0: are there other musicians in the neighborhood
1: mm, well maybe in the neighborhood but in, in our building no it's just you right. know, just having never good neighbors yeah,
0: yeah yeah i i don't know in my mind like that brooklyn scene of musicians you know of, of are all sort of like in a two-block radius of each other <laughs>
1: yeah i mean there's definitely pockets you know of all over brooklyn of a bunch of musicians but not so much in my immediate neighborhood actually did you move to brooklyn when is when you came to new york you went straight to brooklyn no 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 i've I lived in tons of places yeah you know? yeah i mean my first first bunch of places i lived were in uh, queens in what the 70s uh yeah when i first i, I moved to jamaica really yeah when i first came to new, first came to new york you came here from california yeah. Yeah.
0: What? Uh, why Jamaica?
1: Because I, a, a drum teacher that I had in college was living in Jamaica, and was in his mother's house, uh-huh. and and so he had an availability in in that house. Yeah. And so I took it. I didn't know anything about New York, but I knew I wanted to go there, so I right. just took it sight unseen.
0: It wasn't Milford Graves, was it?
1: <clears throat> no, it was a drummer named Keith Copeland. Okay. And so
0: living in the same structure as him you. Were yeah to... we
1: were living in his mother his mother's house he was living there obviously i had the basement apartment that i was running mm-hmm. and yeah it was i mean it, it got me to new york it, it didn't work out very well i mean after a few months it, it became clear that i should find other somewhere else right. to live
0: right i mean i i if i imagine queens in the 70s i the first thing i think is like archie bunker and well, there's you all know, the family. All <laughs> yeah, like, I know about
1: it. <laughs> is a big place. Jamaica yeah. is definitely not Archie Bunker country. Yeah. I mean, Jamaica. I mean, it was it was a completely uh, uh, African American neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, completely. You know, like I was, I did quite stand out. Quite, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was. But I mean that, that was I never had any problems there. it was cool, right. right? But it was just a, such a pain in the ass. I mean, it took like an hour and a half just to get to the city. Just you know? going for gigs and stuff. Just to, well, was gigs. Well, yeah. I, I wasn't even doing, gigs. <laughs> doing I, gigs. I was just I was just trying to go to jam sessions and really? you know, whatever. You know, Which
0: jam sessions were you
1: going to? Ones that don't exist anymore. After hours places. Really? Yeah. Were there a lot of them back then? yeah i mean there was two that i i went to several times where were those one was in like uh it was like on bond street either bond or great Jones. right it was called the Ladies fort Uh uh-huh and then there was another place called uh joyce's house of unity and that was up on columbus in the in the 80s i think or 80s and 90s and that's and that's when that wasn't such a great neighborhood i mean it was like pretty columbus circle No, no, Columbus Avenue. Right Uh, in the in the in in the eighties, the number, the street number, eighties. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like eighty fourth Street or something. Yeah,
0: it was kind of stuffy, right? (coughs) Back back then, it was. It's funny if you (coughs) watch the movie um, Death Wish with Charles Bronson. You've seen it, right?
1: Yeah, I did. I saw the original one. Right.
0: It's it's in that one. There's a scene where you know he's begun the um, to go out at night as a vigilante and is starting to make the news. And one of his coworkers workers uh, asks him, like, well, how do you feel about the vigilante? Do you think the city's safer now? And he says, well, you take a walk on Columbus Avenue tonight, and you tell me. <clears throat> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but so, so you went to college. Did you go to school for music?
1: Uh, sort of. I went to Berkeley College of Music.
0: <laughs> well, that's very much for music, no?
1: I mean, yeah, it was. You didn't? It was good, I mean, while I was there. But then yeah. when I left, it was, it was time to leave
0: i didn't want to be boston either. specifically or berkeley both, both. likely yeah I, mean,
1: I, bo- I wanted to at the time i thought i wanted to go back to california which i did for a while but then i eventually made it to new york
0: where in california are you from
1: i grew up in santa barbara california
0: that's an interesting place yeah it sure is i mean <laughs> <laughs> as a kid there did you go into la much or were you kind of yeah
1: i mean yeah i mean la was just a couple hours from where i lived so. yeah so yeah, you were, you know I would, I mean I I, you know, I took I I studied drum you know, I took drum lessons down there for a while when I was in high school yeah so I'd go down every month or so to take a drum lesson
0: but Santa Barbara to me still I've only been there uh, once and it was very briefly but it there's it, it, like a like a real sense of peace there that I noticed
1: it's it can, it can be a very peaceful place yeah I yeah mean, yeah I mean when I go there now it's very peaceful I mean I go there just for the peace yeah <laughs> so
0: do you still have family there?
1: No, I don't. But uh, but Ingrid and I, we still like to go. We get out there every year, so yeah, uh, spend Are you, spend some time.
0: Were your parents musicians, or what did they do?
1: My parents were both passed passed on. Yeah, yeah. but my, my my dad played the drums actually, but not he wasn't professional. He just you know played the drums. It was like a, it was like a hobby of his. Right, I guess. but
0: there was a kit in the house.
1: No, there wasn't a kit, but there was a parade drum. Hey, really? The first drum I got was a, my father's parade drum.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you I, click? I, with I still it?
1: have it's a it's a it's an it's an end table now. Really? But <laughs> basically, <laughs> but it serves as an end table.
0: Yeah. Did you click with that drum immediately? Pardon me. Did you did you click? With... I
1: I clicked with drumming. I click with drumsticks. Really, yeah. Really early. Yeah. On, yeah, yeah. Before I but probably before I I remember. Yeah. From from what i from what I've been told. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then growing up in Santa Barbara, did you have? you felt like you had pretty good access to a world of music beyond where yeah. you were?
1: Yeah. I mean, you can buy records. There was record stores and there was lots of them. Even in Santa Barbara, there was tons of record stores. Yeah. And they all had, you know, jazz departments and classical departments and rock and roll departments. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. Was jazz the thing early on for you?
1: P- pretty early. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of got interested in it probably through my father he was he was into Gene Krupa. Yeah. And that kind of probably led me into it a bit and uh, and then yeah, I don't know, it was just, it was like a, it's, I just was like I just sort of decided at a pretty young age that I'm going to get into jazz, probably just because nobody else was or something. Yeah. And I did, you know. And but also I was also listening to plenty of the current music. Sure, so sure. It's, it's some stuff I really liked, still still like.
0: I mean, do you think early on being drawn to jazz you know how much of it was you know about the melodies and the compositions and how much of it was sort of like the the musicianship
1: well to be honest with you it was just because i like to play drums and the drumming sounded more interesting (laughs) to me i mean it sounded like it was more fun it sounded like there was like i didn't it it sounded like oh you don't have to get really locked into just playing a repetitive thing over and over and over and over again you can actually play in a way And interact with people and stuff, you know. And I think I was attracted to that even before I knew what that was. I thought, "This sounds like more fun." (laughs) Right? It sounds like more freedom there. You know, I was into Buddy Rich. It seemed like, oh, that's you know, that's really. I mean, not that I I was could play like that, but you know, it just seemed like you know, he was like, yeah, it was more fun than just playing a backbeat, you know, forever. Yeah. But I used to like to play backbeats too. Sure,
0: sure. I mean, I think that's why, like. The drummers from the rock world that I've always sort of enjoyed are people like John Bonham or Mm -hmm. Keith Moon who sound like they're having quite a bit of fun and
1: yeah yeah. not so constricted (laughs) yeah well John Bonham is definitely a favorite of mine in that world you know yeah arena for sure
0: and at that age too it was
1: yeah yeah I was I was in I was yeah I had I had like one of their first records you know
2: yeah
0: yeah but the other people around you they
1: were kind of more into that stuff uh people around me were into all kinds of stuff i mean you know because I, I was also i was always into i was like in the school orchestras and stuff yeah so i mean so even classical music at a pretty young age i was you know at least paying somewhat attention to
0: mm-hmm. and by the time you finished high school you knew that you were gonna be playing for a living
1: I i i i, I had hoped so <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess that I didn't really think about it in terms of living, and I guess in some ways I still don't. (laughs) But I mean, I knew that I wanted to do that. I wanted to be one of those guys that does gigs and and, and, you know makes records, and you know that's I I, that was you know I I just kind of just always everything I did was in support of that. Yeah, making moving to New York and. You know where I went to school and who my friends were. You know it was all it was all in support of like trying to be one of those jazz musician guys.
0: Would you say that you moved to New York um, with an awareness or or uh, a sense of like the? the 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 stories behind it whether it's the village vanguard or or 52nd street i mean
1: i was well aware of the history of it yeah. yeah i mean that that was a big part of the attraction yeah you know it was just i mean it was it was just a simple for me it was simple it was, all the music i was listening to at that time was all rec- down in new york i mean yeah. the vast majority of it. Mm-hmm. you know there occasionally there'd be something recorded somewhere else but but almost all the you know you know all the the, the Coltrane stuff and all the Miles Davis stuff yeah. it was all recorded in New York, and so I thought if I'm really serious about it, then I guess that's where I have to go. Yeah, you know, this logic would you know tell you that, and so I did, not really knowing how that was going to work out. I didn't know anybody really. I just you know right. a few names of people that I kind of just harassed till they would play with me. And really? I, yeah. I mean I did whatever I could. You know, so player. if you you show
0: up in New York you, you don't know anyone. Not really. I mean what's the first I mean how do Well I, I knew
1: know, Rats Harris because we went to music camp together in California mm-hmm. because he's also from California. And so that's but I mean I knew him just from spending the summer with him at a music camp, you right. know, playing in the stage band and playing in the orchestra and whatnot. But I also knew that he he had moved to New York and he was playing with people. He was playing with Jill Henderson and he was mm-hmm. doing. You know, he was, he was kind of. He was becoming. i setting the thing he, up. He was one of those guys, and yeah. so I used my you know my connection with him to you know eventually I tracked him down, met him at a jam, one of these jam sessions. Yeah. I was telling you about. He was the, he was the house bass player. Sat in, we played, we got along, and then he started like recommending me for stuff, and then eventually the you know the first few things i did at least it was a direct result of him yeah just deciding that he liked to play with me so he would try to get me in some bands whenever he could
0: yeah so it's so funny the jam session like I, I mean you know from my time in new york and i'm not you know necessarily you know a jazz person um but you know, we, you start setting up sessions, you know, hey, you know, like we should play together sometime, but I'd never, I don't know that I've ever been to a jam session. I think yeah. I'd be really nervous to do that.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, for, you know, perhaps for good, for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can be pretty stupid. I mean, you know, I had some pretty stupid encounters, really, which actually kind of, you know, you know, that, that's, why I stopped going to these things?
0: Like, just, what kind of encounters? Just
1: you know, people trying to throw their weight around that aren't didn't really have any weight to throw, throw around because I was the new and you know sometimes it was there sometimes there was a racial component sure it and, sure and you know so yeah I mean it. It was, you know, I, you know, there's that could, it could be pretty silly. It could be pretty territorial. You
0: know? And you, you knew not to take it personally right away, or did well,
1: it? I, it doesn't help. I mean, <laughs> you still take it personally, just, sure. Know, even if you know you're not supposed to. Yeah. But I mean, but I, you know, I was, but I mean, it, it, you know, it, yeah. I mean, I wasn't too bothered by it. I mean, I wasn't bothered by enough by it to. Be dissuaded from right. continuing to play I, I, I just stopped going to those kind you know those, sure. those kind and then i started just at that time i I'd met enough people i guess where i could just start having like you said just call a jam session let's yeah let's go play and so yeah, I, yeah. I, st- I started having enough people to do that with that i didn't need to go to the you know public jam sessions mm-hmm.
0: anymore. and you could have sort of you could you could <laughs> guarantee that you were with supportive people and uh
1: yeah I, I started finding my my community of yeah you know, like-minded you know and then they would, you know, splinter off and form bands.
0: And, and who all. Who were some of the first people that that?
1: Well, Ratso led me to like Kenny Werner. you know, who, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, you know, we were playing a lot. Jane Ira Bloom. Yeah. Um, uh, the first thing I ever did with Ratso uh, was a this guy Mike Knock, who's a pianist that was here at the time and moved moved back to Australia. Uh, and yeah, so and just there was. Just, that was kind of the stuff that got me started, you know, with at least recording and yeah. the occasional tour and stuff like that.
0: Right. What was so you moved here? What year? Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. When you think about New York at that time, what comes to mind?
1: Uh, well, it was dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, but uh, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was just uh, it was it was just it's always been kind of like this i mean if you're serious enough about playing a certain kind of music then it's just it's just kind of inevitable i mean you know, you're just kind of stuck with it <laughs> you know I mean? yeah and it's always kind of been that way i mean it, like i mean personally i would probably prefer to live in santa barbara if i if i had my you know if i really could if i could do that yeah but i can't do that yeah I mean, at least not now
0: right but, you know. I mean, I remember as a kid coming into New York, and this would be in the, you know, early 80s, and it was a very scary place to me, because um, I grew up, you know, upstate in the country, and, you know, obviously it's less scary now for a lot of reasons, but, like, when I think about it, one thing that, you know, I don't want to get, like, you know, weren't things better back then, it was cool that you didn't have a lot of choices, like, you'd show up in New York, and you kind of had to bend to New York more. I feel like New York bends now more to people who are missing something from where they came
1: i don't know how anybody could even do it anymore i mean back then i mean you know you could you can get these apartments and be you know ridiculously low rent and actually in a safe neighborhood and yeah and uh you know i don't i don't know how anybody does it anymore actually you know i mean unless you have you know you have to live with like 50 other people (laughs) you know i just don't uh, you know yeah i don't know
2: yeah Uh,
0: but, uh, and did you start so you started gigging pretty quickly
1: well not i i would say no i mean i would i mean i you know a few things would come and go but i mean i you know i was i was driving a taxi when i first got. really there. Oh, yeah was, how long like, did you do that for i did it off and on over like five year period maybe I, I, I would get a gig and i wouldn't do it for like you know you know several months or or, or a year or something and then i would just you know need some money so i just go back
0: to it so you got your license and everything.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was driving yellow, yellow, toxic.
0: In the late 70s, early 80s in New York. Exactly. You must have seen some, cool, some shit. Uh, I picked up Woody Allen
1: once. That's the most <laughs> New York thing anyone's ever done is
0: driving a cab in the early 80s and picking up Woody Allen. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield, I picked him up once
2: yeah really
0: yeah. <laughs> did you work a specific neighborhood or?
1: no i mean you can't you worked wherever you were told to go yeah you know, basically the
0: dispatch they'd say you know get up to
1: no you just people would get in the car and tell you to go somewhere and you right were, you were supposed to do
0: that yeah, yeah yeah and did you get to hang out with older cab drivers uh,
1: well i mean you know not not much i mean you'd You'd wait while you're waiting for your taxi you'd be hanging around with other to cab drivers, but basically, I mean, you're alone. You know, I mean, it's just a it's a lone wolf. You know, you're just out there praying. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <on> the prey. <laughs> Did
0: you enjoy any aspect of the cab
1: driving? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, it served its purpose. Sure. Know? But it's you know it's it was uh it's it's pretty dark. It uh, is. Uh, I mean, if you know, yeah, I, I had to. I didn't i just stopped doing it just i mean without really know, knowing what i was going to do but i knew i couldn't do it anymore
0: so. right so you never like waited tables or no did like an office job or anything like that
1: well a little bit office a little bit of a tiny bit
0: the cab driver thing is really i mean it's probably got something to do with the fact that like taxi driver is my favorite movie ever
1: yeah i couldn't watch it after i drove a taxi i, th- I think it's a great movie too but yeah i remember it came on tv after i started driving a taxi and i i couldn't watch it it was, it was just it was, a little too it a little too close to the home <laughs> 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 i did i couldn't watch it and i know it's a great movie I mean, yeah it's incredible but,
0: yeah 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 i mean it doesn't make the profession seem all that uh enticing
1: uh, no, it shouldn't. <laughs> you know, but it's it's fairly accurate in his portrayal. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> That's man. I don't know. I remember I read in Philip Glass's uh, autobiography that you know he he, set I like, guess somewhat famously drove a cab for many years. Mm. Um, you know, and he got in some pretty dangerous situations. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't say I really got in dangerous situations, but uh, you know but yeah you know you're dealing with the street and you know things happen
0: yeah but it was the kind of job that allowed you to take off when you needed to take off exactly know. i mean that's that that's why it was there a lot of
1: people were doing it i mean john betch and Elliot zigmund and were both also drummers i don't know if you know if you know mm-hmm. them but you know great drummers and they were also driving a taxi at the same time yeah, yeah. It's, it was just yeah uh it served its purpose, but it's it's a dirty job. You know, yeah, you know, and, uh, so yeah, I, I I cut cab drivers quite a bit of slack because it's it sucks. <laughs> right, and it probably really sucks now. It's probably gotten much harder.
0: I feel like it's
1: the whole like
0: ride share Uber yeah. thing has kind of changed everything. Yeah, and, it's probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I don't. You know, you see these guys who have like signs in the back of their car like no, no throwing up in the car. Yeah. That's horrible.
1: Yeah, I used to try to uh, discourage that, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did you, what was the first tour you were able to go on? Hmm.
1: Well, the first time I went to Europe, it wasn't really a tour. It was We were playing two months in this club in Paris with these friends of mine. And it was jazz. It was like jazz, but it was it was with a, a vocalist and a guitar player, yeah, and all. But really, you know, really, you know, my fr- friends of mine and good musicians. And so the first time I went to Europe was to do that for two months in Paris. Yeah, and we played in the same place. It was a it was in this really exp- really fancy hotel that had like a jazz bar. Yeah, and, and uh, <clears throat> it wasn't really. I mean, it was just we were just playing in a you know hotel you know i mean as right. it turns out you know it wasn't really didn't become a thing or you know it was just it was just like we were just kind of in the background
0: playing standards and playing you
1: know playing standards yeah. and little, little arrangements and stuff and, but i mean but it was it was cool i mean it was yeah. you know, it was great it was go great to europe play, and play music and playing every single night and i could cruise around paris during the day and check it out and, yeah you know, yeah it was a nice nice experience yeah the first real then that i did you know some little tours with kenny werner in the 80s you know late 80s i guess and uh but mark helias was one of the first tours a band of his you know that was like a nice long tour back in the day when you can have nice long tours
0: yeah what band was that
1: it was a band with michael moore uh-huh. uh, herb robertson and dave lapedo and myself
2: yeah 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 that yeah,
1: yeah. was yeah, that was a great experience that was like my kind of first real train tour you know just going to a d- different town every day for a few weeks and,
2: right
0: yeah. right 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 did you um <laughs> the first several tours that i did um involved you know sleeping on floors and pretty dire situations did you get caught up in much of not,
1: that not not on tour yeah I and mean, there was yeah when i was you know, when i was in high school you know, we would, you know, like we're playing, I was in a rock band and we would like do the thing where one guy checks into the hotel and all five guys sneak in and <laughs> you know, sleep on the floor. And yeah. We would do stuff like that back then. I'd sleep in my car, you know I mean? Crazy shit like that. But, uh, but no, by the time I started going to Europe, it was luckily i didn't have to contend with it was that. More <laughs> it was you know there was hotel rooms and he didn't have to share rooms or anything like that right yeah.
0: that that culture of um european concert promoters and you know it's like there's a broad range of it you know from like the the top top shelf to you know the more sort of like homespun community organized i empty. know them all they but they you know there's there's like a real culture of you know doing what they can to take care of the artists mm-hmm you know even if it's just you know a a decently cooked meal and you know a clean room to sleep in
1: yeah i mean most people do do fine every now and then somebody kind of drops the ball but but generally you know they do what they can yeah as long as every everybody's up front about it and everything then it's it's usually fine it's it's rare that you know it's it's rare that it's unacceptable you know what but, sometime, you know, but every now and then, it's, every it's, it's unacceptable. <laughs> they have to find something else. You
2: know. right.
0: Yeah. right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now that you've been leading a band of your own for the last few years, have you had to uh, be the, the liaison between the unacceptable situation and the musicians that you're...
1: I think, actually, I've been pretty lucky so far with that. Because yeah. the, the, the tours that I've done have been on that level where everybody knows they have to get you a hotel room and you know it has to be of you know at least a certain quality sure uh yeah you know that's uh yeah that you know that that i haven't really had to apologize for too much (laughs) i I don't think i can't think of any things that were you know really unacceptable
0: yeah when did you first encounter tim Byrne?
1: Early 80s, maybe 82-ish, something like that. Yeah. Probably were first doing, you know, the first gigs we did were probably around that time, 82, 83. Yeah. Somewhere in there. And
0: what Mm -hmm. were those gigs?
1: The very first time I ever played with them was, that I remember, in a a performance was with John Zorn. It was something that John Zorn put together Mm -hmm. with Tim and uh, Ratso Harris and myself playing ornette coleman
0: songs that's what went on to become spy versus spy perhaps right
1: you know but i mean we we just did it was just a one-time thing we did that some gig that i guess it was some gig of i don't know where it was i remember it was in the east village somewhere yeah some place that zorn was playing at the time yeah and so that was the first gig i did with tim and then i guess not long after that he he put together a band with also with ratso and uh uh, Bill Frizzell and Herb Robertson, wow, and we we that we did some gigs with that, you know, with that configuration. Yeah. So and that was yeah that was all like in that time in '82 '83. Right. And then so then it's just been you know off and on you know since then you know right playing with each other
0: like all these people you've mentioned like I mean you I feel like you have a lot of musical relationships that go back. Quite a ways. I don't know
1: if I have a lot, but I mean, I certainly have some. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have some that I, you know, I, I suspect will hope, you know, always be intact, you know, mm-hmm. one way or another. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if it's really, I don't know if it's a lot.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just now getting to a point where, um, like, I look at people and I say, oh my God, I've been playing with that person for 15 years. Ah, that's what nothing. i'm saying that's what i'm saying it's like i can't even imagine what it's like what it's like to, to look at someone and say wow i've been playing with this guy for 30 years uh 40 40 years
1: almost now it's it's getting on to like 40 i mean with when there are definitely some people in my in musical life that i've been playing with for 40 years but i think tim's getting there too 40 years it's getting yeah it's getting on to that i mean uh, yeah, in a few years, anyway. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's a lot of, I mean, for any relationship of any kind, that's, you know,
1: it's deep. Yeah, I don't think about it that much. <laughs> no.
0: But do you ever look at, like, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I have, you know, friends, you know, musical, and non- a lot of my friends I've, I've known my entire life. And there are these weird moments where I look at them, and I'm like, wait a second, that's that same. I remember sitting, you know, at summer camp with that kid when we were nine years old, and he's the same.
1: <laughs> right same miserable prick as yeah <laughs> yeah
0: there's uh so so you mentioned that you met tim plan through zorn when did, were you early on going to the knitting factory or even before that studio henry
1: no i mean by the time i was going to the knitting factory i guess i was playing there you know the the first one that was on uh
2: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And so, and I, I used to play there quite a bit. You know, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I, I mean, I I heard about. It, I was just hearing about it, and then I guess within a year after hearing about it, I was I was starting to play there. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I would go there yeah, right for sure. I mean, it was kind of where we'd hang out.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You really uh, <clears throat> clubs really do come and go.
1: Yes, indeed. You know, I mean, there's a there's a, there's really only. There's really only one that I can think of that's still here.
0: Which one is that? The Vanguard.
1: The Vanguard. <laughs> well, I don't think the Blue Note was even going yet when I first got here. Uh, I don't. I think uh, that came a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. The the Vanguard's like the uh, yeah. It's like the only one.
0: It, it doesn't seem like the Vanguard's in trouble of going away.
1: I hope not. It's you know so like, you know it would be that would be sad. I mean, yeah. That, that's you know yeah that would be yeah.
0: Do you you played there? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember mo- all the times. I mean, it was all it was, it's, well, until fairly recently, it was always with Fred Hirsch, mm-hmm. and I, I played there maybe f- you know four different times, you know, with Fred Hirsch, mm-hmm. and then the last time I played there was just pl- one night. Speaking of Zorn, was part of Zorn's Bagatelles yeah week, and I played with uh, one of the bands that was playing some of the Bagatelles. Yeah.
0: yeah, I it. I've only begun going there in the last um like two years. I think uh-huh. it was two years ago was the first time I went there. I was always kind of nervous by it and it really is there's there's like a special aura to that place
1: yep there is i agree and i mean it's sounds it's also a very good really good sounding room yeah and uh, you know yeah and it's it's really it's it's a nice it's a nice thing to do when you're in town if you can you know play you know playing there is like one of the that's one of the better weeks you're going to have as a musician in yeah. New York City. It's true.
0: So. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think more and more I appreciate eating in places like Peter Luger and, and Russ and Daughters and going to hear music at places like the Vanguard and just <laughs> that are like well lived in. The
1: classics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you have places in Brooklyn that, that feel like home-ish to play?
1: uh yeah i mean different places at different times but i mean uh, barbez is is one that i you know that i used to play much more than i do now and i always always liked it mainly because i just like the way the 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 room sounds yeah any place that has a good sounding room if you can get an audience to go there that's you know that's all i really care about yeah barbez was one that i like uh Currently, there's this place, you know, the Owl. You know, the yeah, Owl. it's great. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, that's a good one, I think.
0: It's a great room. It's a little. It's a little out of the way.
1: It's a little bit out of the way, but hopefully not too out of the way because it is a. It is a really nice room. It's a great it's, room. It's a nice setup. You know, yeah, the way they have it. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: <clears throat>
1: but uh, yeah, I mean, the places I play the most often is, I mean, it's probably probably Cornelia Street. And the yeah, Stung, you know, the, those were probably two of the places I played as much as anywhere else.
0: Yeah, did um, I I know you've been asked this so, but like, did you really not start leading a band until a couple of years ago?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. A, well, I mean, it was more than a couple now, I guess. but,
0: yeah.
1: you know, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. The first record I ever put out was probably i mean i actually don't really know Sure. maybe eight years to eight to ten years yeah i don't, I don't i'm not yeah. sure uh i'm gonna guess like eight years
0: yeah it just never appealed to you or
1: i didn't really have a burning desire to do it because i was you know i mean as long i mean i was always i mean i was always doing stuff yeah getting a chance to be creative and play the drums and and you know nobody was bossing me around too much and so there's you know i was i'm I mean, i'm and i'm perfectly happy to do that you know yeah but uh i don't know just something about the timing of it seemed to be good timing and as it turns out it was good timing because it was it was fairly effortless to to get it going you know it was like i mean i would like call somebody and say do you want to. Out a record and they go yes and I say okay <laughs> and right and I'd go make the record right out. you know so it wasn't again, a bunch of hoops
0: you had to jump through
1: not really yeah you know, and, and so I'm not sure I would have jumped through the hoops to be honest right you know because I I, I I don't it's not like a burning I mean I like having you know I like it when I do it you know when you know I like going on the road with you know Mary and Ingrid and you know doing a bunch of gigs mm-hmm. in a row you know I enjoy that. But I'm also happy to have it be uh, Ingrid's band. You know, playing her music. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean that's that's that, I'm, you know, that's fine with me too. Sure. So, so I don't know. It's it's. I'm not really sure why I did it, but I just figured it was probably time. And you know, and I, I'm I mean I'm I'm glad I do it. I mean, yeah. I, I enjoy the I enjoy making the records. Actually, I mean, I enjoy like trying. You know, deciding what's going to be the next. You know record and how i'm going to put that together and stuff like that i mean that's uh, you know i enjoy that but yeah you know i don't enjoy banging my head against the wall to get gigs but even that hasn't been hasn't been that hard i've been also pretty lucky i mean i've done a bunch of tours and, yeah and, and a relatively short period
0: of and time. you didn't have to
1: i mean i did I, you know i certainly have to be somewhat proactive sure you know, trying to get gigs and stuff but but i mean i'd always have somebody they could organize it you know an agent taking care of stuff and, sure you know so it's hasn't hasn't been that hard really but, I, but i'm but i'm not that ambitious about it you know I've been, right i mean i like like i said i like making the records and i you know when people like them then that's good but you know i'm happy to be on other people's records too yeah so. i mean what's it you know
0: it, it's it's going you know you know, you have some people that you've spent 40 years playing with. And then you have people like Mary, who, you know, like is, you know, a, a kid, you know. I mean, not anymore, but, you know, like, have, have, do you feel like the entire time you've been here in New York that you've sort of been uh, constantly playing with young people as they come in, or is there...
1: Well, not consciously. I mean, uh, but there was a point where suddenly I went from being always being the youngest one to always being the oldest <laughs> one. <you know. laughs> I'm not, it, just, it seemed like overnight suddenly <laughs> yeah. but uh but it's not it's just that you know you just meet you know like I mean you know I meet somebody that knows somebody else that knows somebody yeah. else, and you know and then and we're and and then <clears throat> you do it long enough, it kind of gets sort of defined you know who mm-hmm. who your pool of you know collaborators is gonna be and uh and you know it's it it's i mean it's it's not like a, it's not a conscious thing i'm happy to play with people that are older than me too sure. but but it just seems to work out that way that it kind of gets you know renewed a lot you know yeah from, you know younger people because there's always some younger person coming up that's you know you know crazy good and you know and yeah and then you get a chance to play with them and you enjoy it and, you know, yeah. It's, I mean, it's nice that fluidity is, yeah. you know, is a, a nice part of it. I think, but it's it isn't like a, no. I, oh, I got to just. I have to always play with the younger generation or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I just did a tour with. Actually, I, I did a tour where I actually was the youngest one in the band. Uh, did a bunch of gigs with Tim and uh, Mark Ducre. Uh uh-huh. And Mark and I are just about a month apart. So, but he's older. But he's older. So, <laughs> so, I was the youngest again for for a few weeks. You guys just did that tour. Yeah, we just did a yeah, we just did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And and how
0: was the, how how was it out there touring right now?
1: It was great. I mean, yeah. both. You know, we were in Europe for a few weeks, which all went really well, and then we actually went down to uh, uh, Argentina and, really? and did a, a few more gigs in Argentina.
0: Had you been down there to play before?
1: Not in Argentina. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. How was it? It was fantastic. I so desperately wish that the touring opportunities that are, you know, typically in Europe were available Mm. in South America.
1: Well, it's somehow it's possible. You know, there's not a lot of it, but we we uh, it it worked out, you know, well in this case for us, you know, to go down and just do a few gigs and Mm -hmm. get a taste of that. It was really fantastic, actually. I mean, the uh, audiences are excellent
0: they're really engaged
1: very engaged very enthusiastic yeah. Uh, yeah
0: yeah do you think you're gonna continue doing stuff as a leader
1: i i imagine i mean i'm i mean i know i'm gonna have at least another record come out you know later this year so i guess so
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i've been working on a tour for the in support of the last record that came out that uh you know I, you know i'm hoping will happen next fall yeah uh so yeah yeah i guess i am
2: yeah
0: yeah when did you i something i, I constantly battle with and i'd I like to get your when did you first start getting into the habit of b- planning things a year to two in advance
1: oh just when it became clear that if you want to do stuff you have to do that i mean because mostly it's just like everybody's schedules you yeah know, like I mean the people that I I, I most want to play with they're all very busy and they're in demand you know yeah. so <clears throat> so if they're in my band then I have I have to think at least a year and a half ahead of time just to get like a two week period where I can get all this you know the whole band yeah it's hard you know so that's just that's just uh, that's just common sense I guess <laughs> it's common
0: sense but it's like for me I, I guess the thing that I've had a hard time coming to terms with is like. I don't know if I'm going to still be interested in this project in well,
1: two years. Well, that's that's the problem. You have to, you know, you have to choose wisely. I mean, you know, like you know, like I mean, the things that I plan that far in advance, I I, I find it hard to imagine I wouldn't still want to play with those people mm-hmm. a year and a half from now. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure I will. So I mean, I just trust that. You know, that's going to. And I'm not like it's not like I'm always constantly looking. For a new band or anything anyway mm-hmm. so it's like i'm you know i'm fairly complacent in that way <laughs> i just having the you know the two bands that i have is fine
0: yeah yeah Mm-mm. do you still uh do you still enjoy new york city
1: yeah i do i like i like our situation now we, we have a nice uh you know uh comfortable you know uh, neighborhood that, you know i like to live in and uh yeah i mean i still like new york city you know i like i i it's always been a place that i need to spend time away from mm-hmm. you know like i mean i it's nice to get away for a couple of weeks and go sit on a beach or something like that then it, that helps me tolerate you know new york city a lot more
2: <laughs> yeah tolerate might be the word
1: <clears throat> uh but yeah i mean you know, i'm yeah i'm happy we you know yeah the way it is now you know uh, but
0: uh the change the the larger group that you have not the trio with mary and um and and ingrid you do a lot of standards or is it all standards
1: it's all standards basically yeah yeah that's the idea of it that's what that you know band is at least so far dedicated to doing yeah that that could change too but but at least for now that's you know the two records have been all popular songs
0: has that music always been
1: with you yeah, it's always been in it's. I mean, it's 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 such a big part of the language of jazz. You know, is there sense, or it's such a yeah playing playing songs and improvising on those forms mm-hmm. has that's as old as jazz is, I guess.
0: Right, and, but you never
1: um, um,
0: you never felt like you had to rebel against that.
1: Well, I I don't. I can't. I guess I'm. I guess I don't really consider myself to be rebellious. Although, I think a lot of people would say maybe some of the music that I play is rebellious, even though I don't perceive it as being that way. Yeah. Um, but no, I I don't because. I mean, for instance, all you have to do is listen to, the way Sonny Rollins would play. You know any song, pretty mm-hmm. much any song that he decides he wants to play. It could even be a, a really corny song. But <clears throat> just to hear the way, how free is, you know, in that, in that mode. Mm-hmm.
2: That's, you
1: know, that's, you know, it's, that's as free as anything. You know, I mean, it doesn't, playing, I don't, I don't look at, uh, you know, the idea of playing a, 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 a song form as being uh uh you know restrictive or you know or 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 non-rebellious i mean i think you yeah. can be as rebellious with that as as with anything totally right? i mean if, if that's what you care to be yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so but i mean i've i've always i've always played original music i've always improvised you know without you know any structure. I've you know I've 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 always done that. But it's not uh, to me that they're not mutually mutually exclusive things. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think they can inform each other. You know, f- quite quite well. You know, and and you know, uh, being practiced in f- improvisation can certainly have a great effect on your ability to play a song, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think you know so. So I just I never really thought of them as being di- different things.
2: Yeah. You know. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It
1: it's, you know, it's like it, 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 it's I just know personally I I felt I've felt just as free playing, you know, a 32 bar s- song form as I have, you know, coming up with anything, you know, completely spontaneous, you know.
0: Do you still hear new things in those compositions? Uh
1: well, I think it's what it's it's what it, it inspires in you. So I mean, if, if I if I hear new things, it's because I played something new. You, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, I mean, I don't know if I'm if I you know if I would hear something I, and I could describe like oh I heard this I heard this this harmonic structure that would break down in a way that I've never heard it before or something like that. I don't I don't I don't think I think of it in those terms. No, but, no, you're right. But I mean, I do like if it inspires me to play something that that i go oh well that's that's different and i might be i'm playing stella by starlight but it's you know it it, it made me you know you know whatever you know mm-hmm. inspired something in me uh, you know that that's i mean i guess that's that's what would be the new thing right? mm-hmm. you know it'd be like you know if it, did i play something new because i was playing stella by starlight in this context with these people and, you know you know i don't know if that makes sense. no
0: it does make sense and I, I feel like there's um in you know the the vast world of, of music that you know you and i uh you know where we exist from you know improvisers to, you know it's a really broad range of people the idea of doing standards is often um daunting uh there's you know like when derek bailey made those records of standards records everyone said oh my god you know what the hell is this and right. they're amazing right. records right. um it just seems like, you know, it seems like f- as as a contemporary musician to do standards, like it, it comes with like a sense of challenge. Well, how am I going to to approach this music?
1: Well, I did have, I mean, but I did have an approach. I mean, I mean, it was, it wasn't just like, I'm going to call my friends and we'll, right. you know, we'll pick some songs. But, and, we'll, and how did we'll you land on it. that
0: approach and what did it look like exactly?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it, it's very easy to describe. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I, I wanted to approach these songs from a less soloistic, you know, uh, way of playing them, into more of a, in, in using more of a group improvisation. Yeah. But having the group improvise with the form, using the melodic, harmonic material as they wish. You know, there's no there's no rule on how how you relate to the song. But mm-hmm. everybody. But we are playing the song. We're going to relate to the song, and it's something where. You know, I didn't want to. I, I just wanted to get away from the, you know, the play the melody, have everybody take turns improvising, play the melody, and then move on to the next song. I would, you know, that that approach, I I think is for me anyway, is is you know, uh, it's it's not that appealing anymore. So, right. So so I I you know I I kind of came up with the idea of just telling everybody they could they're not really going to allow they're not really allowed to solo anymore but we're going to improvise together and we're going to you know and we're going to use the melody have that emerge throughout the piece and mm-hmm. you know i mean it's um, i you know described my vision mm-hmm. uh, you know what it was and and everybody got it you know and turned it into the, you know the you know the the two re- recordings that we have out you know made you know made that possible because yeah. you know their ability to Uh, transform what you know my idea about how to play these songs and actually have it come to fruition
0: yeah Yeah. as i've gotten more into more appreciative of and closer to jazz standards and really just the last couple of years i i enjoy and i take comfort in the fact that i'm going to be with that that music is going to be with me the rest of my life like there's something so timeless um about that stuff and i enjoy relating to something that i know for decades and decades before me people have been relating to um mm-hmm. to me there's there's a great sense of comfort in that
1: hmm. yeah i mean i've never thought about it in terms of comfort but maybe there is
0: a bit of yeah that,
1: you know in there too, yeah.
0: and how did you, like, you just picked out the songs that that
1: well the, the songs are almost incidental to me i mean i have to i mean i i can't dislike the song but but i i mostly the the main criteria for me was that everybody Knew them, and and so nobody had to read music. In other words, they were all songs that we all could agree upon that we know
0: that everyone had internalized.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and that that was that was the main that was the main thing. So like, so that was just basically a process of elimination. You know, we you know, somebody I'd say, how about this song? And everybody would go, yeah, great. And it's, and there was somebody would go, no, I, I don't really know it. And then so we just we found songs that everybody knew. Luckily. You know, they all know a lot of songs, so sure. it wasn't that hard. But uh, at least we have two albums worth of songs <laughs> that everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was really how it was, and it was, and then, and then I would just put a little thought into how I wanted to play the song. You know, what tempo I wanted to play at, what time signature I wanted sure. to play it, and what you know, what kind of you know vibe do I want to have it with, and I would try to you know describe that and then then we'd go for it yeah uh, and all
0: the people in the band are are your people they're my people yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. my peeps
0: Was it drew grass playing bass drew's
1: playing bass and chris davis is playing piano and ingrid's playing the saxophone and uh, uh ralph alessi's playing the. Trumpet. yeah
0: and you and drew go back quite a ways no
1: yeah yeah i mean actually yeah we go back to First time I think we played together was with Ben Monder and that was probably late eighties, I guess, or yeah. early nineties or something.
0: I think the first time I saw you play, and maybe I'm misremembering things, was a trio with Drew and Tim Byrne at the Stone in like two thousand five. That
1: could be, a, yeah. <clears throat> you know, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a band called Paraphrase.
0: Yes. <clears throat> it was incredible. Oh well, thank it you. It was absolutely incredible.
1: Actually, if it was at the Stone, that actually might have become a, a record. I think that I think that I think he might have put that out. Really? Yeah, I think so.
0: I this would be like when the Stone first opened.
1: Yeah. No, it would have been a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's possible that 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 actually is a that that's actually on CD that gig. It's possible.
0: I should, I'm gonna try and find that because that gig really kind of woke me up to a lot of things.
1: All right sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> that was great man. i like to sleep myself <laughs> <laughs> are
0: you are you going to go back to sleep after this
1: uh, after this yeah no no i think i'm up for the day now. yeah <laughs> all
0: right well i appreciate you coming over and talking man
1: sure yeah was that it oh well i thought we had i, th- I thought we had have we started
0: yeah <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks tom you're welcome <laughs> All right, I hope that you guys enjoyed that. That was Tom Rainey. Maestro Tom Rainey. The guy's really an excellent drummer. Um, And he's a really sweet guy. He's a good dude. Check out his records. Check out his trio with Mary Halverson and Ingrid Laubrock, both of whom have been on the show. Check out his larger group that does All Standards. All Standards. I enjoyed hearing Tom talk about his concept for for how to approach that music. Go to the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash 5049podcast and uh, throw in a few bucks if you're so inclined. Go to the 5049 website. Check out some past episodes. Sign up for the mailing list. Good things coming to your inbox very soon if you do that. That's it. Hope you guys are doing well. Talk to you next week. Bye.